All right, I want to set up a video that I'm going to show you. In the video, you won't hear any talking, but you're going to see something adorable. This little girl asked her mom, as she's holding an onion, Mom, can I eat this apple? And here's what happened. All right. Let that image stay in your mind for a second, all right? Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And I'm afraid, in my experience with a lot of people, in what they thought was going to be a delicious red apple, they ate an onion of what they thought they were tasting in God. Because they got churchianity, they got religion, they got legalism, they got all this stuff. And so when they taste and see that the Lord is good, it was this bitter onion. And like that little girl, continue to try to power through this thing, <laughs> you know, and okay, I'll keep going to church, or I'll do, a, I'll do this, I'll do that, and I'll try harder, and I'll try harder. But they haven't tasted and seen that know that the God that God is good, and that He tastes His His fruit is amazing. And we're in a, a series that Brian mentioned, where we're trying to we're, we're four very simple questions on the surface. But if we don't answer this the answer to these questions correctly, we're going to be eating an onion when we should be eating an apple. It doesn't mean we're going to have all the answers to everything, but the, the four questions that we're asking are, last week was, who is Jesus? How I many know you got to get that one right? right? If you don't get who Jesus is, then we've missed the whole deal. Today, why did he come to the earth? Next week, we're going to talk about, what does he expect of me? Now, think of your answers to this. Who is Jesus? Why did he come to the earth? What does he expect of me? And then... Where do we go from here? Where do I go from here? That's the last one. And on that Sunday, we're going to offer water baptism. If you've never been water baptized, um, that's one thing Jesus expects of all of his followers is to be water baptized. It's a public declaration of your faith in Jesus before your church family, before, before the world, before the spiritual world, that I'm with him. Two people can get married in secret and still be married but it's not the same as having a ceremony in front of family and friends and the celebration. And that's what baptism is. It's a celebration of someone who says, I'm with Jesus. I'm trusting in him. I believe in him. So if you've never been water baptized, put two weeks um, from today in your mind and, and let's do this. 
So today, though, we're going to talk about why did Jesus come to the earth? And one of the goals in this series is that we would move from I'm a believer or I'm a Christian to I follow Jesus. I'm putting into practice what Jesus says to do. I'm trusting him. I have assurance about who he is and who I am because of him. And we need to know that. You need to know that. If you're going to live the full life that he, he promises, you've got to answer in these questions are so important. Along the way here, if you have a question during the sermon, as Brian said, text them in. Because while we're eating a delicious Italian meal together, we're going to do our best to answer um, those questions and, and at least have some dialogue about it. So last week, people really, really enjoyed it, and let's do it again today. The Apostle John, who was an eyewitness to the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, he wrote this. He said, in the beginning was the Word. The Word is Jesus. Jesus is the true Word of God. Yes, the Bible is the Word of God, but Jesus is the living Word of God who gives it life. He's the reason for the book in the first place. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Literally, that, the Greek word for with means face-to-face. God the Son and God the Father face-to-face in this connected relationship eternally. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's unbelievable that we're going to be celebrating Christmas soon. I saw some Christmas stuff up, and I got mad. And that's a whole different discussion. Yes, it's September. It's not, we're not in winter yet. It's just cozy, and the three months of Christmas music. Don't hate me for that. I'm sorry. I love Christmas because it's about the incarnation. The incarnation is the big word for why Jesus came to the earth. And that's what Christmas is truly about. No emails about me being a bah humbug, because I'm not. But why did Jesus come to the earth? I want you to remember four things today. You can do this. Four things. Jesus came to clear it up. He came to give it up. He came to raise it up. And he came to fill it up. Say it with me. He came to clear it up, give it up, raise it up, fill it up. One more time. Clear it up, give it up, raise it up, fill it up, give it up. Just kidding. <laughs> so let's do this first one. He came to clear it up. He came to clear it up. He came to call us to change our mind about God. He, he wants to change our mind about God the Father, that we have a real clear picture of what God is like. Repentance means to change your mind. And Jesus started his ministry in the gospel of Mark with repent. The kingdom of God is here. We always think of repentance just about behavior. No, it starts here in my mind. How do I think about God, myself, and others? He, that's what he came to clear up. Through his life, he came to show us what God was like and what it looks like to be fully human. That's what he wanted to clear up, this picture 
he wanted to, to show us what God the Father was like. He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you want to know what God the Father is like, read the four Gospels and look at the life of Jesus, and you'll know what God's like. But if we only have the Old Testament, if we only have the images that we create in our minds by our experiences, by people, by our father figures, we get kind of a warped view of what God is like. So Jesus came to clear that up. Um, John writes in John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. So Jesus is what God is like. The other part is, in coming in the incarnation, in the Word becoming flesh, Jesus entered into our world. He entered into this broken, fallen world and walked among us. The Word dwelt among us. And as He grew from being a little baby that needed His little diety changed and had this self-revelation of who He was by what Mary and Joseph told him about how the miraculous birth and all of the things and that he was the Messiah, he also began to read scripture and he would see himself. And at the age of 12, he's blowing the minds of the leaders and the teachers in the temple already and told Mary and Joseph, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? He already began to know what was going on. And part of that mission was to show us what humans were to be like. He showed us what it means to be truly human. Often we make this statement when we make a mistake or we fail. What do we say? Hey, I'm only human. You know, that's not true. We're becoming human. As you and I walk with Jesus, as the fruits of the Spirit are more and more, and more manifested excuse me, in our life, we are becoming human. To be human is to be like Jesus. He is the one who displayed selflessness, self-control, self-denial, love on display. He came to do what Adam and Eve failed to do, live in this perfect relationship as a human with the Father. He came to fulfill what Israel failed to do in living in a covenant relationship with the Father. He came to do that. Now, the essence of all sin is a failure to love. That's what, name any sin, it's a failure to love and trust God or a failure to love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus said the greatest commandment was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means I trust him, I honor him, I believe he knows what's best and wants what's best. But then I also want what's best for my neighbor and I learn to walk in selflessness. I'm not there. I don't know about you, but I want to be, and we're growing, so we're not fully human yet. Jesus is the only one that truly was human because of God's intentions for humanity. Does that make sense, Capiche? If not, text in a question, all right? We'll keep going. So he came to clear it up, then he came to give it up. That's number two. Clear it up and give it up. Give up what? Well, John, in his letter, this is 1 John 3.16, he says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. 
when Jesus was before the authorities and they were talking about, hey, we have the power to, to crucify you and all of that, he said, listen, no one takes my life. I lay it down. He gave up. He submitted his life. He was on a mission. Jesus grew in his understanding of his mission, but when you read the Gospels, over 20 times, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, I'm going to go and die at the hands of sinful men. But he says, on the third day, I'm going to rise, right? But I'm going to die at the hands of sinful men. I've grown in my understanding of the mission and work of Jesus on the cross. That we often attribute the, 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 his death on the cross, that somehow he was appeasing the anger of the Father. And I've come to realize that's not true. Jesus never said, I'm going to go to the cross to appease the anger of my Father. He said, I'm going to go submit myself to the hands of angry men. We'll talk in a minute about what his death did for each one of us. His Father was always with him always connected, all the way to the depths of what he went through on the cross. We tend to think of this separation, but Jesus is never separate from his Father. He was on this mission. He knew that his death was going to defeat our enemies. He did that for us. In his victory on the cross, Jesus defeated the enemy of sin, nailing it to the cross. He defeated the enemy of death, and he defeated the works of the devil. Let's talk about that. Through his death, through his death, he, first of all, took away our sins. He took away our sins. In giving up his life, he took away my sin. When I look at the cross, man, I think, wow, all my stuff was taken to the cross, and he died in my place, a sacrificial death to take away our sins. Remember in John chapter 1, when John the Baptist sees Jesus walking, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Man, let that sink in. 1 John 3, 5, and you know that Jesus came, say it with me, to take away our sins. Let's say it again. To take away our sins. And there is no sin in him. Jesus is perfect. He's the spotless, perfect Lamb of God. The sinless one was dying at the hands of sinners. You think about the story. They had an opportunity when Pilate, before Pilate says, I don't find any fault in this man. And they said, crucify him. He said, well, I can... Let one of them go. Do you want this man Jesus or Barabbas, this, this crooked, crazy guy? Give us Barabbas. And then on the cross, they insulted Jesus and hurled insults and all kinds of stuff that weren't, was not true about him. What did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He took away our sins. And then, through his death, he destroyed the works of the devil destroyed the works of the devil. We just spent eight weeks in a series called Let There Be Light, and we talked about what the Scripture teaches about the conflict between light and darkness and the victory of Jesus within that. If you didn't have a chance to be here for that, all our messages are online or on our YouTube channel, and you can catch up on that. But what we learned and what we see is the devil is defeated. 
but he's still a terrorist. He's still going around sowing fear and discord and divisions and, and doing his little whispering and his schemes were told to, to be aware of that. He's a terrorist, he's a liar, he's a deceiver, and he is the originator of sin. He's the originator of sin, but he's defeated. He's defeated. And then the third en enemy that Jesus gave his life to destroy, he disarmed the power of death. He disarmed the power of death. Now, when we all think of death, even as believers that, you know, walking in faith, you know, it's, there's still a little uneasiness about dying. Let's don't be super spiritual that we don't act like that. We have fear of missing out, dying young, this or that, whatever. It's like Woody Allen said. He said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> that always cracked me up. Jesus answers the big questions of life. You've heard me say this numerous times. The big questions of life. Why am I here? What's gone wrong with this world? What's going to happen to me when I die? Where will I go? Jesus answers those questions. Because I know that when I die, because of Christ, absent from the body, present with the Lord. To live is Christ, to die is gain. In uh, Hebrews, what a powerful passage about disarming the power of death. It says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Before Jesus, there was a lot of speculation about what happens when you die. You don't see a whole lot of the afterlife in the Old Testament. Very little. Jesus came to talk about this thing called eternal life. And that he was coming to give us eternal life. He was clearing that up. So here's what I want you to understand. He literally defeated our enemies of sin, death, and the devil. He literally did it. Our experience of that victory right now is positionally by faith. Yes, we know it in our hearts. We believe it in, in our hearts and our minds. But we still experience sin. We still experience death. The enemy's still buzzing around like a, a wasp without its stinger, trying to scare us. You ever been stung by a wasp? And I think it's uh, which bee or one of them loses its stinger when it stings. But it's still going to buzz around. You're still going to go, ah, like, I don't want to get stung again if you've ever been stung. But those things were defeated by Jesus. It's a done deal, but not fully realized yet. That's a hard thing for our minds to, to get around. It's a done deal, but it's not fully realized until Jesus comes again. So he came to, what, what was the first thing? He came to clear it up. Good job. He came to, and then he came to raise it up. He came to raise it up. Numerous times Jesus said, I'm going to die, but on the third day I'm going to rise again. I'm going to die. On the third day I'm going to rise again. Through his resurrection, he gave us eternal life. The resurrection secures eternal life for each of us. Jesus and his resurrected body will never die again. It can't die. And when you and I die and get resurrected with Jesus, we won't die ever again. 
and we're going to be with him for all eternity. There was a time in John's gospel where he's um, kind of the religious leaders are arguing with Jesus right after he turned the water into wine. And he turns to them and he says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And they're looking in Jerusalem at this magnificent temple building and then they say, what? They exclaimed, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said that this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. Another time in John, uh, he's, Jesus is going to the funeral of his friend Lazarus. Lazarus was his friend. He had, Jesus had gotten word that when he was in Bethany that he, he was sick, or when Jesus was in Jerusalem and then happened in Bethany, and Lazarus dies. And he goes to this funeral, and Lazarus' sister, Martha, comes to Jesus, and she said, Oh, Lord, if you would have just been here, he would have been Okay. And Jesus turns to her and he says, I am, I am, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. How many know that is a promise to hang your whole life on? Build your life on that. Let's don't build our life on the garbage of this world that just fades away. The treasures and whatever that are in this life. Build it on that. When you build your life on the foundation of Jesus, you're building your life on something that can never, never fail you. It's a real hope. Real hope. Death, I heard somebody say it like this, death is a doorway. For those that are believing in Jesus and trusting in Him, death becomes just a doorway into eternal life. Let's say you're at a, a get-together with some friends friends you actually like, right? You're, 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 you're at a get-together with friends. And you're having a good time, but all of a sudden you get a call that you got to go home. So you leave the get-together a little early. And as you get to your house, you pull in the driveway, you start walking towards the front door, you start getting this sense that something's going on here. But you're excited. And you open the door and you're greeted by hundreds of family members, hundreds of people that you're excited to see. You're not thinking about the little get-together that you just got, came home from, that you came home too soon. You're happy that you're home. I think about that when people die, when they die young and we're grieving, and we should grieve when people die. But when you die in the Lord, they just went to the greatest thing we can ask for, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I don't always think about it that way. I'm sure you don't either. We think about what we're going to miss out on. I am preaching to this guy right now as I say that myself. So let's go again. He came to, a little louder, he came to, and the last one is he came to fill it up. Joel Dennis did a great message a couple weeks ago on what it means to be filled with the Spirit. We get poured out, we get poured back in. Pour out, pour back in. It's a great message if you didn't listen to it. Go back. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people. He's active at creation. He was uh, 
would come upon people to do miraculous things. But in the New Testament, he came to take up permanent residence with us. In the Old Testament, we see this sacred space for God. In the Garden of Eden, his presence was with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. That was his sacred space. And then in the story of Israel, in the tabernacle and in the temple, there was his glory and and special presence, his sacred space, so to speak, in the temple. Well, because of Jesus' ascension, he's poured out the Holy Spirit that you and I are now the sacred space of God. Think about that. You are the sacred space of the Almighty. You are the temple of God, we're told. Individually and corporately, we are the temple. No building is a temple. We are. We are the temple of God. Through his ascension, he gave us the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples, he says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, another term for the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him back to you. So Jesus was limited when he was on earth in his, to time and space in his human body. And he's trying to convince the disciples, they're like, where are you going? Like, we've spent a lot of time with you. He said, I got to go back to my father so that I can give you the Holy Spirit, so that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 is the story of the day of Pentecost. And it's what Jesus, Jesus walked the earth after his resurrection for 40 days. Ten days later, he pours out the Holy Spirit. And he told his disciples before this happened, he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men, angels, suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. We are living in between the first coming of Jesus and when he returns. That's what's going on right now. He came the first time to to do his mission through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, pouring out the Holy Spirit. We now have the Holy Spirit living in us. One day, he's going to return and set it all straight, just like the angel said. He'll come back just as he ascended. And we're living for that day. But here's what I know. I'm either going to meet him when I die or when he returns. So either way, let's be ready. People ask me my end times theology. I'm a be readiest. (laughs) That was supposed to be funny, a little theological humor. But be ready. Like live every day to the fullness in your walk with Jesus and how you love him and how you love people. Because we don't know the day that our our life is going to expire. Or he could come back today. That'd be great too. Like either way, he's coming back. And we're told, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means that we already have the Holy Spirit in us. We just stir that up. And we stir it up by, by fellowship, by worship, by reading Scripture, by have answering questions and talking and, and loving and singing and worshiping. That's all means and evidence of being filled with the Spirit. 
Here's my, my thought to conclude this. Live your life like you're filled with the Spirit. Don't wait for this mystical experience to happen. It, it, that, I mean, can you feel the Holy Spirit? Of course. But we don't walk by feelings. We walk by faith. And so we li- go live our lives like we're filled with the Spirit. Love like you're filled with the Spirit. It's, we're connected with the Father through Jesus and the Spirit. Let's live like that. So we're going to transition now. If you have questions, keep texting them in. Let me pray, and then we'll move. Father, thank you for your word. Stir our minds, stir our hearts. Lord, today we commit and recommit our lives to just walking with you, Jesus. You came to this earth on a rescue mission. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that you did not leave us in that fallen condition. You came to save us from it. And you've given us the Holy Spirit. Help us to live in such a way. In Jesus' name, amen.